This segment of our episode on purpose is picking up where the previous one left off. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. This is actually part two of what's shaping up to be a three-part episode. All good content, so definitely listen to all of it. That's my shameless plug. I'll move on. This chapter is on spiritual growth, and although this implies the focus is on something beyond self, that is, something greater than personal perspective or needs, the leap from having no spiritual foundation to having true spiritual vigor and growth is highly unlikely without first understanding why it's important, why it should matter to you, and how to change thoughts and behaviors to support actual, opposed to superficial, growth. As a quick recap, purpose is important because a spiritually strong individual can overcome any perceived personal obstacle or setback due to their trust in something greater than their singular ability or needs. It's important because a spiritually strong and united society can grow in spite of individual differences or preferences. Unfortunately, a society filled with individuals who do not recognize what is driving them spiritually are more easily manipulated into passionate action counterproductive to what they actually want, causing division and unrest as we've witnessed during the current events of 2020. Understanding and having spiritual vigor matters to the individual because it allows them to stay engaged, stay fulfilled in their actions that align with their purpose, and recognize what's important and what's not. Up until this point in the podcast, I've discussed how to address circumstances effectively, that being mental clarity, how to assess beliefs and determine driving factors, core values, and how to engage focus where it's required, directed awareness. So what's the next step to discovering purpose? In the previous segment, the focus was on recognizing the indicators for the need to discover purpose. But why wouldn't you just jump into a purpose-driven life right away? Truthfully, I believe that you need to first experience the world for what it is, what the world wants you to be, and the inherent lack that merely existing brings. Now granted, there's plenty of people who are completely happy with their routine of wash, rinse, and repeat, but I believe that all too many people have recognized something missing in their lives. The first thing to understand about purpose is that it isn't given, it's accepted. Purpose comes from aligning your values with your passions in a direction of true fulfillment. I went over values in the previous episode, but passion is a slightly different beast. Passion is defined as a strong liking or desire for or devotion to some activity, object, or concept. It is also attributed to the willingness to suffer for said devotion. Think the passion of Christ. Values are internal convictions, and passion is a directed external action associated with that conviction. When people consider their purpose, they often don't consider their passions. Often people consider purpose as what they do rather than attribute it to a part of who they are. For example, let's say you work in an organization that has a very clear mission statement, and perhaps they even declare a set of corporate values. This may define the purpose of the company, but it doesn't necessarily define the purpose of the employees. Sure, you as the employee may provide value to the overall purpose of the company, but that doesn't mean that you ought to define your dedicated labors uh, for the organization as your living purpose. Unfortunately, many people wrongfully associate their job as their purpose. 
This is likely because most people keep themselves so distracted otherwise that the labor they do for their job is their dominant focused activity. Therefore, it must be their purpose, right? If there's any question as to whether you have adopted your job as your purpose, observe whether at home you feel the same positive convictions for your job labors that you feel while you're at work. Also, does what you do at home directly support your efforts at work? And if so, do you enjoy this reality? And if no, is there a different motivating factor while you're at home? I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't adopt your occupation as your purpose. Perhaps what you do and the mission of your organization truly and wholly embody all that you could hope for. Simply speaking, this means that all your motivations revolve around your occupation. And if this is true in your experience, then good for you. But as the case often is, many people feel a split of focus and intention between what they do during their occupation and what they do on their own time. Another logic test is the consideration of what happens when work is removed. Whether you're laid off or retired, or there's a re reduction in job responsibilities or obligations, would you still apply your time and efforts in the same way that you did when you were working for the organization? Fact of the matter is, there's not work purpose and personal purpose. They ought to be one and the same. This is why many, if not most people, don't find joy and fulfillment in their day job. They have a why and a purpose, because we all do, but they haven't defined it, and therefore they have no way of associating their job with that purpose. Okay, so I did go off on a bit of a tangent there, but I do think that many people feel torn between what they're required to do uh, to maintain their chosen occupation and what they want to do, even if they can't quite articulate it yet. So alternatively, they simply accept their job as a necessary struggle, slowly letting it dominate their life and slowly resenting it with no plans for recourse. However, this isn't to say that the goal is to abandon the workplace. Obviously, to live in the modern world, an income is necessary. And income is achieved by bringing value to the supplier of that income. For further intrigue into this concept, <laughs> take a listen to my two episodes on money. Uh, just rewind back in the, the uh, episode log there and you'll find them. Um, another shameless plug. But anyways, so the real question here is, is it possible to align the value you bring with your values? And as it turns out, this is the same logic for aligning what you value with your values, as I've stated multiple times before, and I'll probably keep stating throughout the series of this podcast. In terms of the workplace again, sure, you may even identify strongly with the values or mission of the organization you work for, but how can you associate what you do for the organization with your passions? Or even better, is it possible to reassign what you do or how you're occupied, whether it's inside the organization or not, to align with your passions. But Gerg, you might be asking, what are my passions? This comes back to the personal struggle I addressed. This comes back to the personal struggle I addressed in the in the previous segment of this episode. I struggled and frankly sometimes still do with recognizing what I truly enjoy and how I truly want to spend my time. I've talked with many people who share the same thought and chalk it up to them not having true interests hopes or dreams, or at least not recognizing them. And this is very much what I used to feel. Checking the boxes of being successful by society's standards only gets you so far. 
And because I appreciate the sentiment enough not to abbreviate it, I'd like to again share Mark Manson's impression of this subject. However, I will take some liberties on his colorful language, given the PG rating I'm trying to maintain for this channel. Uh, this is Mark's response to claims of not having any passions. Quote, I call bull poop. You already found your passion, you're just ignoring it. Seriously, you're awake 16 hours a day. What the flunk do you do with your time? You're doing something, obviously. You're talking about something. There's some topic or activity or idea that dominates a significant amount of your time, your conversations, your web browsing, and it dominates them without you consciously pursuing it or looking for it. It's right there in front of you, and you're just avoiding it. For whatever reason, you're avoiding it. You're telling yourself, oh well, yeah, I love comic books, but that doesn't count. You can't make money with comic books. Flunk you, have you tried? What Mark is getting at here is a practical expression of a lot of the stuff I've brought up in this chapter on spiritual vigor up until this point. Where your attention naturally goes is an indicator of what you value. And again, if what you value isn't in line with your values, you're going to feel the pain of that disconnect. If you can align what you value, that being the lifestyle you express, with your values, that being the ideal truth which you stand for, then your associated activities are your passions. More often than not, people will simply refer to passions as activities that make them happy or feel expressive. And this is often true, but the reason behind why these positive feelings occur is the important part. If you label art as your passion and you can't articulate why, sure, maybe you enjoy creating art, but if you start making art on commission and you end up losing the feeling you associated with art because now it's a job, you may end up resenting the very thing you thought was your passion. Rather, if you knew you enjoyed art because you value the beauty in everything, perhaps even if you started creating art for other people on commission, you decide to only create art once you have had a creative session with a customer, once you've determined their needs and demonstrated for them the uniquely expressive way you intend to find and bring out the beauty you see that associates with their request. At this point, you're more likely to maintain your true passion for your work. Passions, though, don't have to be artistic in the traditional sense, but your passions are artistic in the sense that they are your expression of your values. If you value liberty and you enjoy golf, let's say, perhaps you can choose to use golf as a tool to engage with colleagues, possibly to further discussions on how to create greater opportunity and freedom of exchange, you know, liberty, whether it's social or business related. And now for the Grand Slam. If you value truth and you're obligated to work a nine to five job, but you know you enjoy relaxing and watching Netflix, why do you enjoy watching television? Is it because you appreciate the stories, humor, intrigue, or mystery? I'm sure other people enjoy those things too. Perhaps you can stimulate a discussion, build office relationships, and foster a community of cooperation and trust in the workplace so that truth can be expressed more easily because again, truth is your value. And then when it comes to morally questionable practices or ambiguous conflicts of interest, the truth will come out a lot more naturally than forcing it out of someone, which will inevitably just create a toxic work environment, which none of us want. Sure, watching Netflix may be the thing you clued into originally, but that wasn't your passion. The enjoyment comes from the humor, story, intrigue, or mystery that you find in the content that you watch. So your passion may come from the action of building community and dialogue around the things you enjoy, around talking about those things, 
so that your value of truth can be addressed freely. Your motivation to continue what you enjoy, uh, that being just watching shows or movies, and do the potentially harder work of socially engaging comes from the desire to foster truth in the world. Obviously, I went into a lot more detail with that last example, and well, that's because it parallels my passions pretty well. I enjoy discussing ideas, and although I do enjoy being social, I am naturally an introvert. Social engagements are enjoyable, but they do leave me a bit tired after the high of interacting with people wears off. Sometimes I do have to remind myself that maintaining social interaction is important, and I do this by tying it back to my values of truth and growth. Not only do I motivate myself to sometimes do the harder things, but I am also able to express truth and promote growth through the discussion of ideas, which again, I thoroughly enjoy. This doesn't mean that this is my only pastime, but as I grow, I'm finding new ways to tie my interests and enjoyments, of which I'm discovering more every day, to my values in order to create new passions in the pursuit of overall purpose. Because values are tied to our beliefs and often our faith, whether it's in a religious context or not, passions, when conducted in alignment, will feel like an extension of your spiritual wellness. It's that righteous feeling in your chest when you know you are doing the right thing, even if the circumstances are uncomfortable. But for what reason is ultimately the definition of purpose? Yes, your values are important to you, but why does that matter? Your passions may feel justified and satisfying in the moment, but is there a greater reason to do them? The answer is either yes or no. No, unfortunately, leads to nihilism, which leaves a person feeling empty or indifferent to the world around them. And this is a very dangerous place to be for either them or their community. But if we answer the question of there being a greater reason with yes, then hope is always part of the equation. Values are the why behind your why. And now it's time to take that next step. The next segment will get into the nitty gritty of how to live a life in purpose. So stick around and we'll pick up right where we left off on the other side.